We are on week five of the series called Abide, which is a series on knowing Jesus and praying. Uh, we had such a wonderful time as a church yesterday with our prayer walk, just praying for the property, trusting God for big things, and then also praying for the community, walking around the community, allowing the spirits to, to lead and direct our prayers. And we trust that seeds were planted yesterday that are going to bear fruit for weeks and months and years to come. We really do, because that is what God does with our mustard seed faith. But as we continue in the series, um, I was just thinking that this week just how much I love reading. I asked my wife, I asked my kids, I love reading. As a young child, I used to devour books. I still remember we used to have these, um, I forget what they were called, but kind of these children's encyclopedias. And I just used to sit there and start at A and just, you know, turn the pages and learn and devour and learn and devour. And then I discovered fiction and uh, I discovered the, the, the Narnia Chronicles. And I forget how old I was, but I was pretty young and, and I just devoured those books. And as a young teenager, read Lord of the Rings and the hobbits twice, um, just loving and devouring books. In fact, one of the things that I can't do is I can't start a book and not finish it. I just find that absolutely impossible. In fact, it's so bad, especially when it comes to fiction. It is so bad that if I know there's a book that I want to read, I will not buy it until holidays. Because otherwise, I'm reading in the bath, I'm reading, you know, while making breakfast, kids burning their house down, but no, I'm reading my book, all right? Now, I know we're not all wired that way, but that's me. But I don't know if you've ever had this experience when it comes to the Bible. I mean, I was just looking at this family Bible over here on the stand. I mean, that's a pretty intimidating book, right? I don't know if you've ever said, okay, you know, I'm going to read the Bible, and I'm going to start at the beginning. I'm not going to ask you to lift up your hands, but I'm going to start at the beginning, Genesis 1 verse 1, and start reading through Genesis. You're like, whoa, creation. Uh, you know, that's cool, Noah. I remember that from a child. And, you know, Abraham and all these wonderful stories. And yeah, yeah, I, this is easy. All right, then we get to Exodus. And you're like, Moses, oh, I saw the movie. All right, I know what's going on here. We get through Exodus. Then we get to Leviticus. Right? Hundreds and hundreds of laws. You're like, what? I'm not allowed to eat Callisto's prawns and I'm not allowed to eat, you know, wear clothes of two different kinds of fabric. This is weird. You know, I'm going to push through. And then you land up in some genealogy somewhere, Abimelech, the son of a holy hab. And, and you're like, what? what? What am I doing here? This is making no sense to me. And you're like, okay, I tried that. And then a few years later, someone like me stands up and talks about how powerful the word is. So you're like, oh, let me try that again. And, and you get about as far. You're like, I just can't do this. Maybe you're like, let me start in the New Testament. So you read through some of the gospels. You're like, okay, cool. Got those stories. And then you land up in Romans. And about halfway through Romans chapter one, you need a nap. It's just like, well, what's, what's Paul doing here? It's just so difficult. And I don't know if, if you can re- uh, have some resonance with any of that. But, and, and even if you don't, even if you really enjoy reading the Bible, maybe you can agree with me, it's a pretty intimidating book. And there's some kind of low-hanging fruits, some easy-to-understand things, and then there's some high-hanging fruits. Now, that was me, but, but, but my journey with the Bible was this. I, I, I started reading the Bible, and again, because I know it's a good thing to do, I used to try and do it, but there was a huge gap in my experience between the way pastors spoke about the Bible 
and the way I experience the Bible. As much as I disciplined myself to read it, pastors were, this is life and this is hope and this is God's word working in your life. And I'm like, it really feels like I'm chewing cardboard. But then something started to change in my mid-20s. I, I was actually taught. Remember, Jesus had to teach us how to pray. I was taught how to read the Bible. I was taught how to study the Bible. And it just started coming alive to me. Now, today is not about reading and studying the Bible but it was where some of the light switches started going on. It started coming alive to me. But there's still a bit of a gap between the way, again, Jesus or pastor spoke about the Bible and how I experienced it. And only much later did I start to realize it's not about the black words on a white page. It's about a person. It's not just a bunch of facts that I need to download into my brain. It's about these truths that push me to know a person. And that's what the series is about. It's about knowing Jesus, walking with him, knowing his love that surpasses knowledge. It's not a, a head thing. And I'm all for facts. I'm all for getting truth into our minds, but we stop short of knowing Jesus. So what we're going to talk about today is reading the Bible on our knees. And what I mean by that is learning, learning to pray scripture. Not just read it, not just understand it, but to pray scripture. I believe it's the only way to allow God's word to move from here to here. And I hope that you come with me on this journey. I know some pastors have described the Bible like, um, you know, that um, terms and conditions document you get when you buy new Apple software. And it's just like page after page after page. You're like, can't I just find the agree button? I'm sure if there's a problem with these terms and conditions, someone will tell me sometime, right? It's not like Apple's gonna come and just, you know, you signed your house over to us. All right, I'm sure it's pretty safe to pray. Can't we do that to the Bible? Can't we just agree, accept all, right? And then we don't have to do this hard work, but God has so much more for us and I hope that he does move you forward. In this, listen to the way Jesus speaks about his words. In John 6, verses 63, this is a vision he's selling us. This is what he wants for us. John 6, 63, the spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh doesn't help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. And the question that I'm asking is, how do we move from black words on a white page to this? To where we experience God's words as spirit and life. Now, I believe one of the obstacles in our way, for most of us here, maybe not all of us, because most of us are really shaped by a Western worldview. And the Western worldview tries to reduce everything to what is known as materialism. I'm not talking about shopping at Sanson. I'm talking about the fact that everything uh, has to be seen, smelled, touched, or understood. And I'm all for good science, but that is the sum of it all. That's where it starts and that's where it stops. So you want to understand things, which is wonderful, but it stops there. And we bring that attitude to God's word. I, I want to read it and I want to understand it. And then we import this materialistic West, Western worldview and we stop there. And Jesus is saying, hey, hey, you've only got started because my words are spirits and they are life. That's what I want for you when you come to my words. 
One of the other things is that Jesus diagnoses our hearts. He says, just a few verses earlier, John 5 verses 39 to 40. He says that you pour over the scriptures. He's speaking to those of us who are devouring God's word and studying it. He says to us, you pour over the scriptures because you think you have eternal life in them. And yet they testify about me. But you're not willing to come to me so that you may have life. Again, the scriptures are not an end to themselves. There's no life in words on a page. The life is the person to whom they are pointing. And it's not the Bible or Jesus. It's the fact that the Bible says truth and points us towards Jesus. And therefore, as we learn to abide as Jesus, I want to know you more. Here are your words. May they be in me so that I can know you. One of the ways I've seen this play itself out, and the worst place to see this is Facebook. It probably depresses me more than anything else, including our national news. All right, Facebook. The way this plays itself out is, I think so many of us, we pour over the scriptures and our goal is, who's right, who's wrong? Stephen, you know, that everything he says, is that correct? And again, we must study the script, but our primary, you know, who's right, who's wrong? Who's right, is this pastor right or is that pastor wrong? And then we get so good at debating, we get so good at handling or maybe mishandling truth and we've got the facts, we've got the knowledge, but we are not being transformed into Christ's image. We have head knowledge and no heart knowledge. We can debate until the cows come home. But there's no more love in my heart. There's no more grace in my heart. There's no transformation in my heart. And that's ultimately what God wants to do in your life. I love how Timothy Keller talks to us because basically what we're going to learn to do this morning We're going to learn to pray scripture and we're going to learn to allow scripture to teach us to pray. We're going to learn to pray scripture and learn to allow scripture to teach us to pray. Timothy Keller says it this way, like a newborn baby, we learn how to communicate with God by listening to his words. God is the initiator. He speaks and we respond. Think about your kid You know, there's a time that they came into this world. They didn't come out talking, telling you what to do, right? They couldn't do a thing. And how did they learn? Did they go to school to learn how to speak? No, no, no. They learned to speak by you speaking to them. And the more you spoke to them, and the more you just loved on them and spoke with them and spoke to them and read stories to them, next minute they start speaking back to you. And that is how God's word ought to be to us. We learn to pray by having God's words formed in us, catalyzing something in our spirits and allowing us to respond back to him. So just briefly, I wanna give you four quick reasons. There are more, I'm just gonna give you four. Four quick reasons why we need to pray scripture. Okay, I wanna try and motivate you here this morning, even on this cold day. All right, number one, praying God's word helps me abide. Praying God's word helps me abide. This whole series is about that line where Jesus says, remain in me and I will remain in you. If you want more Jesus in your life, that's how it works. 
Remain in me, abide in me, and I will abide in you. And that other part of that verse where he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So if I, if I want to know God more, I want more of Him in my life, I want more fruit in my life, the answer is to abide and praying God's Word helps me abide. Well, Stephen, how does it work? Well, John 15, 9 to 10 says this. As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. See the primacy of love here. The primacy of love. As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. And now remain or abide in my love. But he goes on to say, and if you keep my commands, my words, you will remain in my love. Just as I has kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Earlier he talks about if my words remain in you. Can you see this link between our desire to have more of God in my life? Our desire to have more of his love in my life and for me to be living it and for me to be knowing it and also having his words in my life having his commands in my life and then me actually living them out. His words are bringing out a change of heart and a change of behavior. These are all interlinked. You take away some of those ingredients, we've got a weird cake. The other day, Bianca and I had a small encounter. It wasn't a fight or even a domestic, but uh, she says to me one night, I think, uh, she says, so Stephen, the hot tap in our bathroom, it's dripping. Um, so until you get round to doing to fixing that, what we need to do is just ensure you make sure you tighten that hot tap as much as you can. And I'm like, yeah, 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 I know all about that, and I've been doing that, and you know, I've already got that down. So she comes to me a few days later. Hey, Stephen, remember the hot tap? Yeah, no, no, I've been tightening the tap. No, you haven't, because every time I come to it after you've used it, it's still dripping. You see, in a relationship like ours, her words need to be in me. I can't just acknowledge them and move on. They've got to bring about a change of heart, a change of behavior. Imagine she said to me, hey, Stephen, date night's coming up. Here's what I would love to make me so happy for us to have sushi, cuddling, and conversation. So imagine I came home with McDonald's and I sat on the other couch on my phone all night. Her words, I am betraying the fact that her words are not in me. I'm betraying the fact that her words are not transforming me and how I live and how I act. And in case you're confused, Stephen, is that really a bad idea? Let me ask you this question. If I come home with that after she's requested something else, does that move me towards her or away from her? Her words need to be in me. And if we are to know God and his love, his words need to be in me and bring about a change of heart and a change of behavior. So praying God's word helps me abide. Praying God's words, number two, helps me pray God's will. I love this verse. It was part of our prayer guide this week. 1 John 5 verses 14. This is the confidence we have before him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now, remember, we spoke about this last week. Jesus teaches us to pray every single day. Lord, your kingdom come and your will be done. Jesus is training us. The posture of not trying to conform God to my will and my kingdom, but to transform me to his will and his kingdom. So how are we going to pray God's will? Now, this is probably the most asked question that I have as a pastor. How can I know God's will for my life? 
How do I know what to study? Who, how do I know who to marry? God, should I you know, marry her or should I marry her? Should I go to Cape Town? Should I go to Joburg? Should I go to Australia or the UK? Should I take this job or that job? What direction should I take? Help me understand God's will. Here's the problem, and I've seen this in people way older than me, people slightly older than me, my peers, people younger than me, and people much younger than me. We want to know God's will for these things in our lives, but we ignore God's revealed will in His Word. God is saying, listen, there are thousands of pages here revealing my will for your life. You're ignoring those and you want a little bit of help. We treat God like a genie. You know, I just, hey Lord, help me out with this thing, then go back into your vase. Are we truly interested in God's will? But as we learn to pray scripture, God's revealed will, most of it is actually pretty easy to understand. Most of it is there in black and white. That's God's heart. That's God's will for your life. And yes, it is going to confront us at times. Yes, it is going to convict us at times. But God is calling us to more. God is calling us for something greater. And that is need to bring about change and bring about repentance. But there's His will. And as I learn to pray His words, I get to pray His will. And this verse says that gives me confidence. Which is very similar to the next one, praying God's will. Number three, helps me pray God's promises. At one count, uh, someone counted, there are over 3,000 promises in God's word. You know, when God promises something, he's putting his character on the line and he is saying, I will do this. On my name, I will do this. Now, from time to time, we talk about the sort of name it, claim it, prosperity, health, wealth, gospel, which is something we not adhere to. But here's something they got right. Something they got right is this. If God said it, we can claim it. The only problem is they're claiming stuff that God didn't say. God didn't say we will always be healthy. God didn't say we will always be wealthy. But he did say, I will give you contentment in plenty or in want. He did say, I will turn bad things for your good, even if you don't fully understand it. He did say, I will never leave you or forsake you. doesn't matter what you go through. If God said it, we can claim it and we can receive it. He's put his character on the line. Mark Batterson, who wrote a great book on prayer called Circle Maker, he says, there's one thing is certain. Our most powerful prayers are hyperlinked. For those of you who are maybe uh, technologically challenged, hyperlink is that, you know, there's a word on your email or a website where it's blue and it takes you somewhere else. Our most powerful prayers are hyperlinked to the promises of God. When you know you are praying the promises of God, you can pray with holy confidence. This is, in fact, something we see regularly done in the stories of Scripture. Whether we're looking at people like Israel, Jacob, or Isaac, or Isaiah, or Habakkuk, or Moses, or people in the New Testament, we regularly see them saying, hey God, this is what your word says, this is what you promised. Now they're not doing that as if God's got dementia and he's forgotten about it, but they are coming to God with this faith. They are coming to God with this confidence They are saying by bringing God's promises to him, not have you forgotten, they are saying, I trust your promises. And therefore we, it'll be praying God's promises and praying God's word helps us do that. And finally, praying God's word helps me be transformed. Hebrews 4.12. 
For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword. Penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, it is able to judge the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Notice that God's word is not just this thing that goes out there kind of for all people. Notice how personal it needs to become. I think for so many of us, <laughs> I just can't think of a better picture. You know, we've heard the saying, water off a duck's back. I think for so many of us, God's word is like water off a tortoise's back. It like hits us, but never penetrates us. And we need to come to God's word with faith. We need to come to God, this is what Daryl prayed for this morning, with willing, vulnerable hearts and say, God, speak to me. Notice how personal it needs to get in me. And sometimes it's painful, right? Sometimes it's painful. It talks about God's word coming in, judging my motives. Hey, I've done these good things. And God says to me, no, 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 but with the wrong motives. Sometimes God's word penetrates. Sometimes it separates. That's not always comfortable, but it comes to you personally to transform you. So maybe you're sitting here this morning saying, Stephen, you know, that's pretty cool. I know not all of this is comfortable, but I think I want that. I'm pretty motivated for that now. But how do we do this? How do we pray God's word? Now, there is no one size fits all when it comes to this. There's no instruction book as to how to pray God's word, just that we should. So what I'm going to do for the rest of the message this morning is to illustrate how I do it. So this is not the gospel, this comes with no authority, but here's things that I've learned about how to pray God's word. Here's some things I've learned in books or along the way or things that God's shown me or things that other friends or mentors have shown me. And just to illustrate, I'm going to take two verses from a a devotion I did a few days ago. Uh, If I looked around, I probably could have found a better couple of verses, but I just thought, let me choose something recently just to illustrate how we can take in inverted commas, ordinary verses and pray God's word. I also want to show you, and guys, please, this is not me. Hey, look how wonderful I am. I'm learning. I'm learning and I feel like I've got decades of learning left to go. But here's how I approach this before I even read the word. Something I started noticing is that in at least three of the books of the New Testament, when Paul's writing to a church, he's often praying for them and he tells them, here's what I'm praying for you. And at least three times he prays something along these lines. I pray that God will give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And he might say a spirit of wisdom or insight, or he might pray that, that he might enlighten the eyes of the heart. He says it in different ways, but he's saying, here's my prayer for you. So again, this is God's word teaching me to pray. So as I come to his word, I'm saying, God, I'm asking for the spirit of wisdom. That as I read God's word, that you grow my wisdom. And you give me the the, the spirit of revelation or insights or discernment. Very similar words. All coming out of the scriptures. So Lord, allow me to see what I don't ordinarily see. Allow me not just to see with my mind. Allow me to see with my heart. And Jesus, you have said that these words are life. So God, may they be life to me. May you speak to me. Lord, may these words penetrate me if necessarily and hurt me in order to heal me. But Lord God, this is what I ask. So God, Holy Spirit, would you teach me this morning? And above all, Jesus, may I know you better because of our time together. This just helps me position myself 
to be ready to read God's word. So here's these verses. And again, they may come across very ordinary, but uh, I'm just going to use them to illustrate how I pray God's word, some lessons that I've learned. 1 Thessalonians 1 verses 45. For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit and with full assurance or full conviction, as some translations say. So the first thing I do is I do study, I do try and read, I do take out some commentaries because that's part of knowing the truth. But as I come to praying God's word, the first thing that I use any verse for is to praise is to praise. Now, if you don't know where to start, start in the Psalms, all right? I think so often, I mean, we had a bit of time earlier in worship where we can use our own words back to God. I think sometimes we don't know what to do because we don't have a vocabulary of praise. We kind of got like, you know, God, you're so awesome. And God, you're so great. Yes, Lord, you're awesome. And yes, Lord, you're great. And Lord, you're awesome. And you're so great, God. That's kind of where it starts and stops, and I think it's so right-hearted. But there's such rich vocabulary in here. God has revealed so much about himself. People have recorded things that we can say back to God that are going to grow you and stretch you and give you a greater heart of praise. Psalms is a great way to start, a great place to start. But to be honest, I think that we can use almost any verse to praise God. To look in these verses that God gives us and say, God, what does it say about you? And how can I praise you for these things? So again, I'm not going to try to perform here. I just want to illustrate something. Here's how I used these verses to praise God. So for we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God. God, I thank you that you're a God of love. That is the primacy of love in your heart. You want me to know that I'm loved by you. Thank you, God, that the primary point of our relationship is one of love. And you've chosen me. God, I don't always understand how this works. But God, I thank you that you've chosen me. I thank you that you are wise and you are sovereign. Because our gospel did not come to you, God, I thank you that your gospel came to me. God, I thank you that my parents gave me the gospel. I thank you that your spirit applied the gospel into my life. I thank you, Jesus, for what you have done on the cross for me. I worship you for that, God. God, I thank you for sending your son to me. But not only in word only, but also in power. I thank you for the power of the gospel. Not only to save me, God, but also to sustain me. Thank you that every single day when I come to your cross, you forgive me and you give me freedom. Lord God, I praise you for your generous heart. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord God, that you, your Holy Spirit is with me and in me. And thank you for conviction. Thank you that I can live this life, not just a bunch of ideas, but I can live it from, by faith. Beth Moore, he wrote a great book called Praying Scripture or Praying God's Word. She says this, as you pray the Word of God, acknowledging His limitless strength and transcendent dominion, truth will begin to eclipse the lies we will realize that in our weakness, he is strong. And that as we bend the knee to his lordship, God is more than able to deliver us. So the first thing I do is praise God. Then I come to confession. Last week we spoke about the power of confession. Remember we learned that I confess to God for forgiveness. 1 John 1 verses 9. But I confess to my friends for healing, James chapter five. I confess to God for forgiveness and I confess to others for healing. But here's a problem that I see in my own heart regularly. 
If there's a big sin in my life, if I blew it somewhere and I know about it and God's highlighted for me and I come to confession memory and I know I need to be confessing this sin. And it's sometimes so easy to confess the big sins, the obvious sins. But have you ever gotten to a point where you're like, Lord, last 24 hours, I don't think I've sinned. I think I've been pretty good, right? And then I need to confess pride and self-righteousness. See, here's the thing. We maybe confess the big sins, but how are we gonna know? You see, they get sins of commission, the things that I do. Then you get sins of omission, the things that I should have done but didn't. How am I gonna know those things? And then it says here, Hebrews 4.12, that God's word judges the motives of my heart. So I did the right thing, but God needs to show me that I did it with the wrong motives. That's not easy to see. Then there are sins that by definition are impossible to see. We call them blind spots for a reason. We are by definition blind to them. So if you're like, okay, God, what do I need to confess? You're not gonna see them. Sins like greed, we never see greed in the mirror. Things like pride, spiritual pride, self-righteousness, we never see those things in the mirror. So we need God's word to speak to us. Show me the state of my heart. So I come in confession. So when I come to any verse of scripture, I'm saying to God, God, how am I falling short of your desire for my life? How am I falling short? So just to use and illustrate from these verses, this is kind of what I would do. Lord, I don't know if I'm always walking around in your love. I walk out of my room and five minutes later, I'm already angry with the kids, kicking the dog. I don't always know if I'm walking around as a point of your love on the face of this earth. Lord God, I don't always know if I, if I sense your affirmation and value of my life. You've chosen me, but I often just feel like, you know, I'm the one in charge. I'm the sovereign one. I ruin, uh, run my own life. And yes, ruin my own life. <laughs> Lord God, I don't have to always treasure your gospel. Lord, there's something in my heart that just defaults into do, do, do mode, where I'm self-reliant. And I don't always look at Jesus. I don't always come to you with my stuff. I don't always come to you trusting your power in my life. Lord God, I'm more self-empowered than God-empowered. Lord, I don't always know if I acknowledge the power of your Holy Spirit in my life. And I confess these things to God. And sometimes God shows me specifically how I'm doing that. And then by the way, advertising for the journals, I write it down as God speaks to me. Confession. Then I move from there. So we've done praise, I confess. And then I look at Christ's fulfillment. Not what I've just done is I've looked at how I have not fulfilled those demands. And then I want to look at how has Christ fulfilled these truths. You see, the gospel is not spelt D-O. The gospel is spelt D-O-N-E. It's not about you and I climbing a ladder to earn God's favor. It's the fact that we couldn't earn God's favor. Jesus climbed down the ladder and then climbed onto a cross and lived the life you could not live and died the death you could not die, raised his life from the dead to take his sins upon, sorry, your sins upon him and give you his righteousness and his freedom by grace. 
So I'm asking myself, Jesus, how do John the Baptist, how do I become less and you become more? You see, if I skip this step, it becomes legalism. Hey, Stephen, just do this and do that, do that, do that. And I get it wrong and I despair. And I get it right and I'm proud. But when I look at what Christ has done, and Paul says the Christian life, it's no longer I who live. It is Christ who lives in me. And the life I live is the life of faith in not me and my ability, but the life of faith in the Son of God who gave his life for me. That is the definition of the Christian life. The way this became most clear to me, I was working through uh, the book of Matthew a number of years ago and I got to Matthew chapter four. Story we know very well where Jesus is tempted uh, by Satan in the desert and he's fasting for 40 days. Um, but if you go around this story, you realize a number of things are going on there. So the first thing that happens is, is uh, Father from heaven says down to his son, this is my son who, I'm lo- who I love and with him I'm well pleased. Then the spirit comes down on him like a dove and empowers him. Then it says Jesus is led by the spirit into the wilderness. And when the devil confronts him, Jesus says time and time again, it is written, it is written, it is written. So what I started doing on that morning was, okay, Lord, here's a kind of a story of temptation and I I don't wanna give into temptation. So you're giving me kind of four steps to avoid temptation. So number one, I need to be affirmed by my father in heaven. Number two, I need to be filled with your spirit. Number three, I need to be led by your spirit. And number four, I need to have God's word in my heart. Now, all of those are awesome and wonderful things. But I was looking for four steps for me to do. And then I found God say to me, Stephen, here's the problem. You failed time and time and time again. There's only one person who has not failed, and that's my son. So suddenly I realized it's not four steps for Steve to do. It's how do I allow Christ who did face temptation and not give in? How do I allow him to live through me? And how do I die? No longer I live, but Christ who lives in me. So we look at Christ's fulfillment. So in these verses, as I'm thinking about Christ's fulfillment, I'm saying, Lord, brothers and sisters loved by God, Jesus, the only reason I am loved and experience God's love is because I've been adopted into his family because of what you've done. I have not earned God's favor. You did it and gave that to me. Lord God, somehow again, I don't always know how this works, but I am chosen because of the work that you have done. Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you for the gospel that came to me, Lord God. Again, thank you, Jesus, that you had me on your heart. This is what you've done in my life. And Lord God, I look to you again and again and again. Thank you, Jesus, for the power that you give. Thank you, Jesus, for the spirit that you give. Christ fulfillment. And finally, the spirit enabling. Because at the end of the day, we're gonna walk out and live by faith. We're gonna live by faith. So God, please, would your spirit help me know Christ's love? Help me know the Father's love. Holy Spirit, would you convict me? This word assurance or conviction, will you convict me this morning of the gospel and would it not depart from me as I walk out of here and I get stuck into real life, Lord God? Would your conviction of the truth and the power of the gospel stay with me? Holy Spirit, would you be with me? Would I be aware of your presence? Would I walk in that and would I be led by you? So Holy Spirit, would you empower me to live this? 
And maybe while it's not perfect, that's how I've, some of the things that I've learned to do to pray scripture. And then I pray those things for my family. And then something I encouraged you last week and I really encourage you to do this. I pray those things for this church. Lord God, with this church, know your love. With this church, know the power of your gospel. Would this church receive your gospel in power? Would your Holy Spirit be here, powerfully here? And not just here on a Sunday morning, but wherever our people are right now, would they know the power of your Holy Spirit? Would this church be convicted of your truth and your power and your presence and your love? I'm not the only one who needs to be praying for our church. And I encourage you, whatever you pray for yourself, pray for your family, pray for your church. You know what freaks me out the most is what doesn't happen when we don't do this. And I don't just mean what I spoke about this morning. I mean this whole series. What doesn't happen or what has not happened or what what will not happen when we don't abide because we don't actually believe those words apart from you, you can do nothing. We actually believe we can do something and we actually believe we're we're actually okay without God. We just have a little bit of Jesus on a Sunday, a little bit of a grace before some of our meals. And that's me, God, right? And then the rest I'll take care of. And if I really need your help, Gene and the bottle will come out and help me. And what freaks me out is what hasn't or will not happen in your life if we do not abide. What will not or has not happened in your marriage because we fail to abide. What fruit will not manifest itself in your family because we do not abide? What will not happen in our kids' lives and their kids' lives because we do not recognize the truth of these words, if you remain in me, I will remain in you and you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. It freaks me out. I believe some of us need to make a decision this morning. It's going to take faith and going to take great courage to believe those words. And some of you are going to say, Lord, you know what? I have been lukewarm. I've been sitting on the fence to mix my metaphors. I've just been cruising. I've been coasting. I've kind of treated you like that genie that Stephen keeps on talking about. And that ends now. So I want to bring the decision to you this morning to say yes to an abiding life. To say yes to a fruitful life. To say yes to more of God in you. To say yes for what that means to you and your transformation, the power of God in your life, the knowledge that you walk around this planet loved by Him, empowered by Him. What that means for your family, what that means for your children, what that means for their future and your future. But I also, and I know that this might create some empty seats next week. I also want to invite some of you to have the courage to say no. You see, if you don't say yes, we believe we're kind of saying half yes, right? Lord, maybe I'll get there, right? And we kind of treat this as an optional extra. Lord, maybe a little bit of that and a little bit of this and, a little bit, and then amen, we go home and forget all about it. You know what Jesus says when we're lukewarm? He says, I spit you out. 
He says, at least if you were cold, you would know it, I know it. And when you get to say no before God, I don't want that in my life. At least you now know what God knows already about you. Your heart is hard. And now he can work with you. But when we're deceived, hey God, I'm sort of shop, you know. But I just don't want that super, you know, that's for Steve. That's for Bianca, that's for Daryl, that's for other people. Not for me. So this morning, I want to invite you to make a decision. And I want to encourage you to have the courage to say yes this morning. So church, can I ask you to stand? Apparently in the States, every year, 5.8 billion dollars goes unclaimed in terms of gift cards. 5.8 billion dollars gift cards unclaimed. These are cards that are paid for. The check's already been signed. All it needs is for somebody to walk up and claim it and use it. And I'm concerned that Jesus has signed the check for us. He has given himself to us. And I'm concerned so much goes unclaimed. So let's pray. Father, our good Father, this is something you want for us, not from us. You want us to flourish. We flourish best in your love. We flourish best when your words are in us. We flourish best when we are so in tune with the voice of your Holy Spirit. We flourish best when we can commune with you and abide with you daily. That is where we are transformed. That is where there is fruit. And that is where our futures are different. Thank you, good Father, for that. Thank you that this is what you are wanting to give us and thank you that the bill has been paid and all we need to do is step in and claim it. Holy Spirit, show us our hearts. As painful as it may be, show us the resistance of our hearts. Maybe show us the fears of our hearts. For some of us, show us the hardness of our heart. Allow us to recognize the true state of our hearts so that we can be real before you. We can be real, including in our fallenness and our brokenness. But God, I thank you that you don't invite us from that space to climb up a ladder of righteousness. Just think of that prodigal son who came with his sin and came with his failures, came smelling like pigs and prostitutes and parties, and he expected the father to greet him with, uh, um, you can be on this farm, but you're gonna be a slave, and yet the father met him in that space, in his sin, with sonship, and you put a cloak of righteousness on his shoulders, and you gave him a ring of sonship, and you threw a party for him. Father, I'm asking that you are doing that here this morning as we take a step forward in faith, trusting your word, what you want for us.
And I'm just invite you in the next 30 seconds or so, if you are afraid, if you are concerned, if you are confused, if you are aware of how hard your heart is, just say that to God. God, I just realized my heart's so hard. I don't even want any of this. <laughs> just say it. God, I'm afraid. God, I don't know what this is gonna cost me. Use your own words, reflect them back to God. He knows. He wants you to know. And if you've got the courage, I invite you to take one more step. Lord, I give you my hard heart. I give you my hypocrisy. I give you my fears. I give you my doubts. I trust you, even though I don't know how all this is gonna work out. And then I'm gonna ask you in the quietness of your own heart, use your own words, but to say yes to the more that God wants for you. To say yes to an abiding life. God, I want to be known by you and I wanna know you more. God, I wanna walk around without these insecurities and I wanna know, know that I'm loved by you. And I wanna know it with my heart and not just my mind. I don't just wanna argue people into the faith. I wanna love them. I want your heart in my life. I wanna be transformed. But apart from you, I can do nothing. Father, I thank you that one of your promises is if you remain in me, I will remain in you. And Father, as we are taking steps forward today, as we are taking steps into you today, as we are taking steps of dependence towards you today, we thank you that your word says you will remain in us and you will produce fruit in our lives. I thank you for what this means for our marriages and our futures and our kids, Lord God, our transformation. Church, last thing and then we'll close. I want you to just think to yourself, it's before God in his presence. You know, faith by definition is hearing God's word and acting on it. I wanna ask, what are you gonna do differently? If you believe these words, how are you gonna to step towards him? How are you gonna get his words into you? How are you going to trust him and know him as father? How are you going to position yourself before him to be filled by him and transformed by him? Father God, I thank you that you're speaking to us and you're showing us. And I thank you that the work you're doing right now, you will sustain. Thank you for this invitation. I believe a life-changing invitation this morning. And God, we trust you as we depart from here. You go with us. 
because you say so. Your love goes with us. Your power and your gospel goes with us. We thank you, Jesus, in your name. And we all said, Amen. Amen.